Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 7, uh, we've been in a series called uh, Possible for, for some time now, and we are going to pick it up where we, we left off. Uh, the last couple weeks have been, it's gotten a little tight in here, and the reason why I'm saying that is because we've been talking about sex and relationships. And so church is a place where when you talk about that, it kind of gets a little awkward, gets a little strange, and gets a little weird. Um, but, but how else will we know how God wants us to conduct ourselves in relationship if, if we don't teach through it, right? And so, so, so God's, God, God created, created sexual relationships. God cre- created marriage. And so we should go to the source about how we should function in those relationships so that we can bring honor and glory to his name because ultimately neither sex nor marriage is about us, but it's about God. Amen? Amen. Are y'all with me? Y'all here today? Um, and, and so, so we want to carry on in, in that today. Um, I did not know that this was graduation weekend. I had like 45 people call me this or text me this week saying they were going to be sick when really they were at graduations, that graduations part, graduation party. But, but I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I think we're going to enjoy the Lord's word together. And so I just want you to just focus in and hone in on what God is saying to us this morning. A, a sermon is not necessarily a monologue, or, or, but, but it, is, it is dialogue between between people as we worship and serve the Lord and grow and learn together. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 40. It's a lot of scripture, but I promise I won't keep you longer than three hours. All right, I'll keep my sermon to two hours and 45 minutes, John. I just keep it to two hours and 45 minutes. Y'all all right with that? you are like, yeah, right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 40 says this. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Verse 19 says this, circumcision does not matter And uncircumcision does not matter. Here's what matters. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each one of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Let me say that again. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. 22 says this, for he who is called by the Lord as a slave is actually the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a freeman is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. Then he changes subjects. Verse 25 And when you read the word virgin here, we're not talking about people who have never been sexually active. When he says virgin, it's talking about women who are of marriageable age is what he's referencing. All right. Just for for understanding purposes, when we see the word virgin here, it's about women who are marriageable age, not actual virgins as we know it. Here's what it says in verse 25. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion. This is just my opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, 
I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm just trying to spare you. This is, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Th those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the world in its current form is actually passing away. I want you to be without concerns. Singleness is good for some people. I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is unconcerned. He's concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. You can do whatever you want. You can get married, you can stay single. But here's what I'm here to do, to promote what is proper so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks that you call to be single, but you act improperly toward the virgin that you're engaged to or the woman you're engaged to, if she's beginning beyond the usual age for marriage and he feels he should marry, then he can do whatever he wants. He's not sinning. They can get married. But if you stand firm in your heart, you're under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiance, you'll do well. So then he who marries, his fiance does well. But he who also does not marry will do even better. You know, all kind of questions going on in your head at this point. Y'all like, what? Wait, hold, hold up, wait a minute. But a wife, talking about marital commitment here, this is the difference. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. So what he's essentially saying is, if you in it, you in it. So be sure before you get in it. The church should have said amen. amen. But, and only but, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord, meaning only if he is a Christian. But she is happier if she remains as she is. And here's what he says, that's just my opinion. In my opinion, I think if she's single and she decides to stay single, I think that's good for her. And I think that I also have the spirit of God. Although that's my opinion, I think that God has given me some wisdom and discernment. And this is what Paul is saying. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. We thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, I pray today that we will grow in a, just a supernatural way today. I pray we will grow in our faith, God, that we would just fully engage, Lord, with your word today. That, that we would let the word shape us and mold us. That we would let the word grow us up to maturity in Christ. God, open our minds to just see things from your vantage point and from your perspective. Holy Spirit, help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to listen. Help us to be shaped and formed in the likeness of Jesus today, Father. And so, Lord, we just don't take this for granted today that we can, that we can gather, that we can be one together. And we just pray that you would meet us, that your son Jesus would, would be exalted today as we study and learn together. And so, Father, we thank you. We pray this prayer in your son Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated in the Lord this morning. From the sermon series Possible, my sermon title this morning is Christ 
career, and companionship. Christ, career, and companionship. This, this particular text addresses two or addresses two of the most important questions that people in our particular culture and especially younger people in our generation wrestles with on a regular, almost daily basis. I think if we were to peruse almost all of reality TV and most of social media, we would surmise that the most important questions that people are trying and really searching for an answer to can be summarized in two questions. What have I been called to do and who have I been called to do it with? I think these are two of the questions that most people wrestle with on a regular basis. What, God, what have I been called to do? And God, who have I been called to do it with? And so this question can be hard to answer because we live, we live in a idealistic pluralistic and relativistic culture that makes it hard to answer this question. Our culture really makes it hard to answer, and here's why. It is virtually impossible to answer this question, these questions because it assumes that there is one particular job and one particular person on earth that will give me all the satisfaction and fulfillment that I could ever need. We assume that if we could just answer these two questions, that there's one job out there that would just make my life complete. And there's one person out there that was born somewhere in space and time that was specifically designed and made for me. That's a lot of pressure. But what the gospel does is it comes in and it cuts through there and tells us that, no, it's a better way and a better perspective to look at these questions. The gospel frees us from the cultural pressure to answer these questions, and it also frees us from the pressure that we put on ourselves on a daily basis to figure out what am I called to do and who am I called to do it with. The gospel actually frees us from this because the good news says you can breathe, you can relax. You don't have to have so much anxiety to answer these two questions because your identity does not come from who you, what you've been called to do, where you've been called to work, and who you've been called to do it with. Your relationship with your work and with other people does not give you your identity. Your identity actually comes from God. And so the gospel says take the pressure off we already have an answer to this. God, God has already given you what you need. He's already given you the most important relationship that you will ever have. So you can breathe today. You can relax. You can go to bed tonight. You don't have to take your anxiety medicine. You can actually rest tonight because you don't have to have it figured out by next weekend. And so God has come through and rescued us and given us an identity and a call and a relationship that supersedes all other relationships, including marriage and singleness. But, but both of these are actually good questions to ask. It's good to ask the question, what have I been called to do and who, who I've been called to do it with? We, we should ask these questions because the average person from ages 25 to 65 will spend 96,000 hours at work. That's a lot of working hours. So it's essential for us to take a step back and ask some of these questions for those of us who are believers. And here's what we should be asking. How does my faith come to bear down on my actual work? 
Does my faith change my, even my whole motivation for working? Because I want to give you a newsflash. Your job ain't about you waiting for next Friday or every other week to get a paycheck. Right? And so, so it, 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 asks, it asks the question, how does my faith come to bear? Does it change my motivation for why I work? And does it change how I actually approach and do my work? My faith comes to bear on all that. My reason for working and actually how I work because how I work actually matters. How I work matters to God. How I work matters to God because ultimately I'm not working for my employer. I'm working for a higher boss. I represent somebody else. And so we get to the context of Corinth. Corinth is this ambitious city. It's all about success. It's all about getting to the bag. It's all about coming up. It's all about fulfilling my own personal career goals. It's about climbing the ladder to success. How do I come up? How do I work things out in my favor? And so in Corinth, you work to achieve whatever you want so that you can be known by people and you can improve your social status in the world. For people in Corinth, your identity is solely based on two things, what you do and who you're connected to. It sounds familiar because we base people's value and worth off of those same things. We do the same things. We deem people more important if they're connected to the right person or if they are the right person. And we, we, we base our own lives off of what we are able to achieve in our life. We see our own value based off how high we can climb on the ladder to success. And so if you take these new Christians, they are also living in this culture. They're new to the faith and they're thinking we got to keep the same mindset. So now that I got this newfound faith, I got to what if anybody's got to come up, it's got to be us. We, we, we are these Christians now, so we should have the best job. We should have the most education. We should have the most money. We should be, be known by the most people because we are Christians and we have this newfound faith. So we, we got to make some changes. And here's what Paul says in verse 17. Let each one of you live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. And what he's saying is you ain't got to make no changes because God didn't save you based off of what you can get accomplished. God saved you based off of what what his son accomplished and so it does not change God's view of you it does not change whether God says you have worth dignity and value it's not about your goodness it's about his goodness and so we get to this idea of call I want to bring some clarity to call because what am I called to do what am I called to do where am I called to work what is my career path just driving yourself crazy trying to figure out what this one thing is and I want to let you know you have two calls have two calls it's important you have two calls you have a horizontal call you got a vertical call or I should say you have a vertical call and then you have a horizontal call so let's deal with this vertical call first your vertical call is God's call to salvation if you are a Christian God has called you to salvation God called you by his grace God called every Christian by his grace he called us and guess what his call towards us was his unmerited favor and most of the time in church where we hear unmerited favor of God we think job house money career no God's unmerited favor and grace was his call his salvific call his call to call you to salvation to call you to himself and it was not based off of you but it was based off God's love for you while we were sinners Christ died for us 
While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were rich, not while we had the best job, not while we had the greatest career, not while we had the most education. No, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. And so what makes this good news, it's called good news, is that you didn't deserve for him to call you. That's what makes it good news. You were not deserving of a call from God, but he called you anyway. And so this vertical call, here's what you need to know, has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. God's vertical call has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. And here's what you need to know. It transcends and transforms all of our external circumstances. God's vertical call to us transcends and transforms all of our external circumstances. And so in that vertical call, you get your identity. Because here's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. It says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Your identity is actually in him. Your identity is in God. And so that is your primary call. Your vertical call is your primary call. And then, secondly, you have a secondary call, and it's your horizontal call. This is your vocational call. This is your career call. But the vertical call shapes the horizontal call. This call is how we relate to the world, how we live in love and service towards our neighbor as God uses us as instruments while he does his work in the world through us. And so there's this vertical call that takes shape on our horizontal call. And so the horizontal call is not how you relate to God, it's how you relate to your neighbor. But guess what you need to know about the secondary call? You don't get your identity from this. You don't get your fulfillment from this call. You don't get your security from this call. You get it from the first call. So if you, if you deem your identity from your vertical call with God, who he says you is, it takes the pressure off of you, putting pressure on yourself for your horizontal call. I hope that makes sense to you. If my identity is here, I can breathe here. I can breathe here. I don't have to stress myself out. The vertical call gives me my true identity and it gives me some freedom and latitude in my horizontal call. And so here's what Paul says. Remain as you are. Wherever God call you, that's good enough for God. Whatever situation you found yourself in, where you were, that's good enough for God. You didn't have to have a quadruple master's degree for God to call you. Nothing wrong with having a quadruple master's degree. Shout out to you if you can pay them student loans back. Shout out to you. But that has nothing to do with why God called you. Nothing to do with it. And so he uses two examples of remain where you are. He uses circumcision and slavery. Circumcision was what Jews did because it was a sign of the covenant that he had with his chosen people. So Jews believed that if you had a relationship with God, you had to be circumcised. Because it was this, this ethnic call for them. And what does Paul say in the text? He says, circumcision does not matter. And uncircumcision does not matter. It doesn't matter. So even if you have the physical sign, it doesn't really matter because it's not based anymore on your ethnic or racial identity. It has everything to do with your real relationship with God that is through faith. And so whether you have circumcision or not, circumcision is just a sign. It is just a sign of something. So circumcision does not matter. And then he moves down to use the example of slavery. He says this, if you were called while you were a slave, guess what God doesn't view you as lower if you are enslaved 
you, who you were, where you were, was good enough for God to save you and call you. And so let me say this about slavery. I, I must say this because you have to be culturally aware. I'm aware of my context. When we see slavery in the Bible, let me address this. This is not the same as American chattel slavery where Europeans enslaved black people for hundreds of years. Not the same thing. This slavery is more like indentured servitude. American slavery was in perpetuity. They didn't ever expect for it to end or want it to end. This type of slavery was temporary. You can be a, a doctor, you can be a teacher, you can be a lawyer, and sometimes people would put themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. And so this is a different type of slavery. It is more like indentured servitude, but it also had a time limit on it. But guess what Paul says in the text? If you are a slave and you can get your freedom, take that opportunity. Does that sound like a Bible that condones slavery? If he's telling you, if you can get free, take your opportunity to get free. All right. And so he uses these two things. And what he's saying is your race doesn't affect if you are saved or not. And neither does your social status. So if you're a Jew and you've been circumcised, that doesn't save you. It's about faith. If you are a slave when God calls you, you don't have to level up in order for God to love you. He already died for you. So if you can gain your freedom, do it. And what this means is that because God's called in Christ, because of God's call in Christ, it voids out any attempt for people to assign worth based on race, ethnicity, or social status. Nobody is better than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And here's an implication for this. Whatever your present status is, if you are black, if you are white, if you are Hispanic, if you are Asian, if you are rich, if you are poor, if you are educated, if you are uneducated it is not incompatible with the life that Christ has called you to whatever your lot in life is right now no matter where you work or neighborhood you live in it does not diminish God's call in Christ Jesus on your life whether you are moving on up like the Jeffersons or you're going to stay right where you are it has no bearing or standing as a son or daughter of the king it does not move you closer or further away from God no matter what you can achieve our lives are determined by God's call not our situation let me put it more specifically your identity is not in your career your identity is in Christ you are not what you do you are who God called you to be. It is not in our work, it's in the finished work of Christ. Your identity is not in your work, your identity is in the finished work of Christ. And so what does this do for us? It gives hope to people who hate their jobs. Let me let you job haters just breathe. Oh God, I hate my job so much. Breathe. Breathe, because your job does not give you your identity. They don't pay me what I'm worth. That's okay. Your identity is not what you, and what you pay or what you're paid by your job. But if you absolutely love your job and you love your job, you, you got a work-life balance and you get 900 hours a year of PTO and y'all got little bouncy chairs in your office and it looks like Google and you love your job, it's okay to love it, but you don't get your identity from it. Because if you lose the job, then you lose your identity. 
lose a job, you lose your identity. Your job could never provide ultimate fulfillment to your life. And so to understand this idea of calling, it transforms our perspective on work and it lifts us up out of the cultural quagmire of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or get to the bag or whatever you want to call it and trying to be the next whoever you want to be. If you do eventually become or you already are the next whatever you want to be, here's what God says. If, if what your identity comes from me and you do level up and you do get to the bag and you do become whoever you want to become, guess what? You're only that because you're supposed to leverage it for my glory and serve other people. So all of this getting up and leveling up and raising up, all this stuff, that whatever you want to call it, whatever they're calling it these days, guess what? If you are a Christian and you're doing it for yourself, you're doing it wrong. God only gives you leverage so that you can leverage it for the kingdom. God only gives you influence so that you can influence it for the kingdom. God only gives you a raise so you can use that to to serve the kingdom, to help the kingdom work. But what happens is we get stuck in the cultural quagmire. We think like they think, and then all of a sudden we become these self-oriented, self-fulfilling, selfish, ambition people. There's no difference between us and the people that are in the world. But when God says your call is about me, not about you, It changes everything about us and how we approach our work. Here's what you need to know. All work, no matter what you do or how low you think it is, it is inherently valuable because it is a gift from God. And it means that you have this opportunity to show off his glory no matter what you do. If you own a business, that's a gift from God. But if you work at a job and you don't think that you get paid enough and you are struggling to make ends meet, guess what? That job is valuable in the eyes of God, is a gift from God. That's not to say you don't go and get another job. It's not to say that you don't want better for your life, but it is to say don't despise where you are because God didn't put you there to collect a check. God put you there to bear the name of Christ. Here's what this does for us. When we allow God to transform the way we approach our work, if we allow God to do this, it frees us from being consistently dissatisfied with our work. It frees us from the dissatisfaction that we face on a day-to-day basis in our work. I know some of us feel this way. Oh, my God, I just wish I just, oh, oh. Every time I walk and I walk by a desk, I'm like, oh. (laughs) If he asked me how my weekend was one more time, I'm going to just grab back on him. What you mean, how was my weekend? It was good until here. (laughs) But if we understand it this way, it opens up the possibility, the possibility for us to be content in the purpose that God has decided that our work has. God says your work has a different purpose. This undercuts the overly ambitious, the overly consumed with being famous, the overly consumed with being rich, the overly concerned with climbing the corporate and the social ladder. It frees us to work as unto the Lord. But here, let me say this. Let me say this. Yes, breathe and be sad. Yes, I'm content because God has given my work a greater purpose no matter how insignificant it may look. However, it is not a license to passivity or complacency. 
Let me say that again. This is not a license for you to be passive. This is not a license for you to settle and be comfortable with where you are. This doesn't make us ambitionless and risk averse in life. You should take some risk at times. You should try to improve your lot in life at some point because you now understand that I'm doing it to leverage it for God, to do God's common good because here's what we do these days. Because we want to be comfortable or, 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 or we suffer from this disease of laziness, we masquerade it around in mental health issues when really you're just lazy. Now, I know that's unpopular, but I'm not here trying to be popular. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Not everything is mental health issues. But when we all say, oh, I got mental health issues, what we do is we undermine the people who actually do. Some of you just don't want to work. Some of you just don't want to do nothing but watch TV, scroll social media, and eat honey buns. When God called you, he saved you from laziness. He saved you from apathy. He saved you from complacency. It is good and okay to improve your lot in life as long as you don't let that be based off of your own selfish ambitions and, reads and, and reasons. We are, we, are, we are Christians, and so we, we want to do better. We want to improve. We want to be the best at our job, not so that we can bring glory to us, but so that we can bring glory to God. So, so here's, here's what I'm say. When you go to your job as a Christian, be the hardest worker there. Be the best coworker or the best employee that you could ever be. Be be the best at it. Give give your 100% effort. It doesn't matter if you like the company or you like your boss or you like your coworkers. Lean on the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm walking into this place. My attitude is jacked up. My mind is jacked up. My heart is messed up. I don't really want to be here. The lazy bug is speaking into my ear. But Holy Spirit, please give me some holy ambition. Renew and transform my mind so that I know that I'm actually going here for a greater purpose than collect the check and watch the clock until 4.59 p.m. when I can start gathering my stuff and be out the door by the time it gets 5 o'clock. God does not call us to do just enough to get by ministry. And that's whether you're serving in the church or you're at your job. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 25. This is from the Message Bible. Watch this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I love Dr. Eugene Peterson's version of this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25 says this. Should be on the screen. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters, your boss, and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master that you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up for bad work. Here's what it does. It it, it raises it raises our eyes to stop looking at our boss and hoping that they don't see that we're slacking off. What it says is, God is actually watching how I work. And I know practically it, it may not hit, hit home, but let me tell you this. 
you should be far more concerned about how God sees your work than your boss sees your work. It says we will be held responsible. We will have to give an account for how we approach the, God, the job and the career that God gave us. And here's what he says. Keep God's commands is what really matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which you were called. And here's what it's saying is. What's most important is not your circumstance, but how you live in your circumstance. Yes, your job has a lot of weight on your life, but... But, but, it's not everything. What's most important is how you live in light of where you are. How you live in light of where you are. And here's what I think Paul is saying in this. Bloom wherever you're planted. When we keep looking for next, we keep looking for next. What's next? What's next? What's going to happen? Where am I going to be in five years? Where am I going to be in ten years? That's important, but it ain't primary. We, we overlook now looking looking way down the road, not realizing that we suck where we are. And sucking where you are undermines where you think you might go. That's not how God works. God doesn't reward your, your, horrible, uh, your horrible faithfulness in your present. God doesn't reward that. So you think I'm going to do just enough to get by. They're going to see me recognize it. And, and God's going to allow me to be in a situation where I get to where I want to be. Where they do that at? If you had, let me just, let me, let me say this and we'll move on. If you owned a company and you had employees, you, were, you had the, the weight of people getting paid based off of your business. Let me just put this on you. If you had that responsibility that, that, that if something went wrong, you would be ultimately responsible for why people can't feed their kids. If you owned a company and you had shareholders that, that, that were basing their livelihood off of how you ran your company. I want you to think about this. You, you are the man. You are the woman. I'm going to let you sit in the CEO's seat this Sunday. And you had all these employees I'm wondering how many of y'all would see the employee that does the least trying to just get by. How many of y'all would promote that person? How many of y'all would hire that person? Not one person in this room would. But you want it to happen for you? That's crazy talk. But if you are a Christian, God calls us to be faithful right where you are. Faithfulness is one of the most underrated qualities that people can have. We would change and tear the world upside down if we just had more people who were faithful. But all we got is a bunch of people who want to do it their own way. And when they can't do it their way, they pull back on everything. That is a gross sign of immaturity. But faithfulness says things are not going to operate based on how I feel. I'm going to operate based on how God has called me. And that's important whether, whether, whether it's where you work or who you're in a relationship with. Verses 25 through 40 addresses the idea of relationships and specifically single people. Now, let me say this from the outset. This is important. Singleness is a gift from God. If you are single, you are not a second-class citizen. If you are not married, 
you have just as much worth, dignity, and value as somebody who does. There's nothing wrong with you if you are single. God is not mad at you if you desire to get married and you have not got married yet. God is not mad at you if you were married and it didn't work out and you long to be married again, but right now you're, cur- you're currently single. God is not mad at you. God is not punishing you if you are single. God sees you the same as people who are married. You have dignity. You have worth. You have value. If you are single, I know oftentimes in church we treat pe- single people like they got a disease. Let me tell you today, you don't have a disease. God loves you just the same. Matter of fact, you can get more done for the kingdom than a married person ever could. So you have dignity, you have worth, you have value. Don't think that married people are superior to you. And married people don't think you're superior to single people. Single people are saved and made in God's image just like married people are. Are we clear on that? Are we clear on that? All right. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. That's the same for married and single people. Right? And so, so nothing's wrong with single people. Oftentimes, you still think, what's wrong with you? Nothing. Why do we have to assume that something is wrong with a person? Now, now, can that be the case sometimes? Sometimes a person can be single because, you know. But that's a case-by-case basis. But I'm just, on a normal basis, on a normal basis, it doesn't mean that something is wrong with single people. I want to read this quote to you from this author who wrote this at the time that she was single. She was in her 30s, in, in single, late 30s, and she was single. She finally got married, but she wrote this as a single woman. This author by the name of Paige Ben Brown said this, I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to deserve a husband or too spiritually mature to need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. If we take time to get to the heart of it, the struggle is really not with singleness. It's with the sovereignty and the goodness of God. So people struggle with singleness because you, because sometimes you don't think that God is good and you don't trust in his sovereignty for your life. And she says that couldn't be anything from the truth, any further from the truth. So here's a problem in Corinth. Here's a situation in Corinth. Paul addresses in particular single men in this text. He's talking to single men, unmarried men who are engaged to be married. Right. And so they're struggling with this idea. Should I get married or should I stay single? And Paul is addressing this. And why, why would he address men? Why is it up to men? Because in those days, like it should be now, men are supposed to be the ones that take initiative and lead. Put that in your feminist pipe and smoke it. I said what I said. Paul is offering advice in light of eternity. And here's what he's saying. The same weight, I want you to know the same weight that people put on marriage in Christianity these days, it's the same in those days. And I can't imagine what it's like for a woman because back in those days, a woman derived her social, or her social status and her economic security from who she was married to. And if you were not married as a woman, if you were marriage, marriageable age and you were a woman, and you were not, if you were not married, you were a social outcast. People look down on you. And Paul restores the beauty and dignity to all single people in this text. And so he addresses, he says virgins, but really what he's talking about are people who are marriage age, women in particular, but he's addressing men and how they should approach it. And Paul is saying that ultimately he thinks, his opinion, he says his opinion, he thinks that singleness is better. He thinks that singleness is better because in light of eternity and Christ's return, 
He thinks that people who are single, number one, can avoid having the issues and the sufferings of life that can be added to your life when you get married. And secondly, they can also give undivided devotion to the Lord. And so the first thing he's saying is, hey, if, you, if you're bound to, to a wife, if, if you promise to marry somebody, if you're engaged, go ahead and get married. There's nothing wrong with that. He says if you're loose from a woman, meaning that you're not tied down to anybody, th- th- then you can remain as you are. It's okay if, you, if, you're, if you're single. But, but if you're engaged and, and you desire to be out of it and, and do not want to go forward with it, guess what? Don't seek a wife. <sighs> Let me say this. Please bear me the time to say this. It is not the end of, a world, end of the world if an engagement gets called off. All right? It's not the end of the world if that happens. Here's what happens. People want to save face, but here's what happens. I'd rather you be embarrassed and get an engagement called off to sign up for a lifetime commitment of misery. All right? Don't be in a, to to please, this is the point. God loves you just the way you are. You, you You don't need to, 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 to be married and make a lifetime commitment if you're not capable of doing so. The other thing is, you might say, ooh, thank God. Ooh, I could just do, do, my, do my single thing. I could just live my life, go where I want to go, do what I want to do, make my own unilateral decisions, how I want to do it. I could do that. That's beautiful. I want to do it. But you can't not want to be married, but then play married. I just need some time. I'm not ready right now. What time can I come over? I'm not, you know, I just don't want the pressure that people want to put on us, you know, because that's just church people just make you feel bad for being single. But you know what I'm saying. So what's up? Ooh, say what, say what, say what? Ooh, girl, you know what's up? And you know what I mean. Say what, say what, say what. Little Donnell Jones ministry on a Friday night. And what he's saying is, if if you can hold it down, if you do have self-control, and you, you feel like, I'll be better off single, it's okay to be single. It's okay to remain in your singleness because what happens is, if you are married, you will have trouble in this life. Here's what you need to know. If you already struggle as a single person, if it's just one of you and you can't take it no more, multiply that times times two when you get married. Add on to that when you get married because now you got your suffering and you got somebody else's suffering. Did I mention there's crumb snatchers that could come into the picture at some point too? You add on that pressure, right? So if you already flailing as a single person and can't keep your head above water, you might need to pause for the cause and consider, should I get married or not? And if you're single, you're like, you know what, I am, I can self-control, I can hold it down, and, and I'm good, Pastor, I'm good, I can hold it down, bro, I ain't got no problem, I'm like a monk out here in these streets. If that's you, that's cool, but remember, you're not being single so that you can be selfish. You're being single so that you have the freedom to serve the Lord and serve other people. Right? So singleness is not freedom to do whatever the heck you want to do when you want to do it. It's actually freedom to be enslaved to do what Christ wants you to do when Christ wants you to do it. We need to understand that, okay? 
singleness is a gift because you can serve the Lord in it. Okay? And so these are things that we must consider. And he's saying, look, the world in, the, in its form is, is passing away. And because Christ has come, his death, his resurrection has brought a new epoch of time, and we can see things differently. And, and marriage as, is a beautiful and as a gift as it is and all the enjoyments and, and how that two-income two household hits a little different and all that good stuff. That's good and all, but it's just a sign and a shadow of what's actually coming. Marriage is good, but it ain't God. Marriage is good, but it's not ultimate. Christ is ultimate. And guess what? If you're single, you already got him. But if you, you want to get, you're single, you want to get married because I just can't be by myself. I'm not made to be lonely. I just be hugging my pillows. Pastor, I be standing up all night just playing video games to keep my mind off of it because I'm by myself. I just, I just want just a little tenderoni to just, just, just snuggle up with, Pastor. I just like a tenderoni. I like a Bible Brown ministry. I like a tenderoni, but I just want one, Pastor. I, I just can't be by myself. I just need somebody. I'll be more satisfied. Here's what you need to know. If you want to be married just because you can't stand being by yourself, that's the wrong reason to get married. You're going to kill your spouse. Because they can't bear the weight of carrying all your issues. They're not Jesus. They're your spouse. A spouse will not save you. All right? Are we clear? So, we're crystal clear. I love it. So, here's the things. Give you some practical stuff and then we'll be done. If you don't have the gift of singleness and you can't control it, and I'll let you know what it is, you know what it is, then it's right and good to proceed in marriage. Because remember last week it said it's better to marry than to burn, right? God don't want you out here wilding out in the streets, all right? But you must ask yourself some questions. And one commentator wrote, I have, no, I have no right to marry unless I have honestly faced the question of the impact marriage will have on my Christian life and service. If you have the call to serve the Lord and you want to be married, get married. Two people can serve the Lord. At the same, it, it can improve the quality of your service. It's good. But you got to consider because it, who you marry matters too. If you have the call to give everything to the Lord, to serve the Lord your whole life and your spouse is like, eh, it's not going to work. I've never seen that work out. What tends to happen, and this is wisdom, this is my years of pastoral experience. If one person is on fire for the Lord and one person is not, what's going to end up happening is, in my experience, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's guaranteed, but in my experience what happens is the person who's not on fire douses the fire of the one who is on fire, and the one who's on fire starts mirroring the one that's not on fire. That's a fact. All right, so who you marry matters. You like, I just want to do generosity Sunday. I was thinking I was just going to give God $1,000, and he like, we're going to give him 10. We're going to keep giving him this 10 that we've been giving him. Then what are you going to do? Because when you marry, you can't just make this unilateral decision. It's no longer yours. It's ours. So you need to consider this. How can two walk together unless they agree? But if you sign up with somebody 
who doesn't share your same faith, which no Christian should do, ever do that. And secondly, if you sign up to be with somebody that does not have the same worldview, biblical worldview that you do, that your life is a life that God has given you and you've signed up to serve him for the rest of your life and they kind of like cool on that, if that's the case, then here's what I'm telling you. You are signing up for a long, painful, gruesome, ugly, suffering journey with the Lord. That will be adding unnecessary suffering to your life. And so this is not to scare you and tell you that marriage isn't beautiful. It is good. It has amazing benefits to it. But it is also hard. Because two sinners are signing up. Two sinners, people who are willing to release their own will, who says, I sign up to serve every day for the rest of my life. You have to wake up every day and look in the mirror and say, it ain't about you. And so for you to be single, you have a freedom that married people don't have. So it's a gift. It is a gift from God. Use it wisely. And so I want to just give you a couple things, couple, give you four points of advice that you should consider, that you should do before you get married, and then we'll be done. Number one thing you should do is be prayerful. Ask God desperately to help you discern and navigate Through courtship or singleness. Number two, so important, be honest with yourself. Honestly assess, don't lie to yourself and tell yourself that you're capable of doing something that you're not capable of doing. Be real with you. Be honest. Oh, I just want to serve somebody. Well, you don't serve nobody now. If you can't serve your local, your, how you serve the local church is a barometer of how you will serve somebody else. If you lack in serving as a, I'm talking about Christians only. If you are a believer and you lack in serving your local church and you don't serve right now, you ain't serving another person. It just ain't going to happen. This is a test. This is a, this is a sign that, hey, how I serve people is how I serve my spouse. Matter of fact, serving in church, if you are single, prepares you to serve somebody else when you get married. I just get, man, I just, man, I should charge y'all. <laughs> charge, give me all this free game. Number three, assess the person you're dating. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say something real dumb. If you're a Christian, then maybe they should be a Christian too. Maybe assess that. Maybe you should ask them about their faith and what they believe. I think that's important for us. You should ask, what do you believe about who Jesus is and what he has done? Do you go to church? Oh, yeah, I go to Yeah, yeah, I go. Yeah, 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 I go to, uh, I'm, a, I'm a member, I'm a tithing member of uh, Bedside Baptist Church. <laughs> where Reverend, Mas- Reverend Mattress is my pastor and presiding bishop. Here's what you need to know. If you assess them and they don't, they're not compatible as far as faith is concerned, don't try to, don't try to put a, a, a square peg in a round hole. It's not going to work. It is going to be a long, treacherous road. You are signing up for unnecessary suffering. Assess the person you're dating. And after you get finished assessing that person, number four, have other wise, trusted advisors assess you and them. And then accept the feedback. 
Let me say that's important. That last part is important. Have otherwise trusted advisors assess you and the person and then accept the feedback. That's important. Accept the feedback. And if they tell you something that you don't want to hear, they're not hating on you. They're trying to spare you. Sit down. Let somebody tell you where you are on the scale of crazy. Are you a one or are you a ten? You can't see yourself accurately. But others can see you more accurately because they have to interact with you. Everybody has an inflated view of themselves. Are you selfish? No, I ain't selfish. Yo, we're going to split the bill. Um, I had the water. I had the water. If you never, never mind. I'm just... That's, that's life. That ain't in the sermon. That's just life. I'm not going to do that. Caveat to number four. When I say um, go to wise, trusted advisors, I don't mean your peers. We live in a generation where your peers just tell you whatever you want to hear. Whatever foolishness you come up with. You know what they said to me? Da, 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 da. Girl, I wouldn't take that. He's, they said, they said, whatever you're feeling about them is right. Nonsense. Absolute utter nonsense we have to get back to being people who be who are honest with our friends no you are wrong you out of pocket no that was not correct no actually they are right no you are tripping you are crazy I love you but you crazy I appreciate our friendship but you you are you are whack job right now you are not seeing clearly Yes, he's cute and he's ridiculous. Break up today. Yeah, bro, she fine, but she out there. Pastor, bro, just be honest, she not just for you, she for the community. Feel like the Lord is calling me. No, that's your flesh. But you need trusted advisors. My last point is this. Here's why this is all important. Because marriage is a lifelong commitment. And does that mean that every marriage will last until death do us part? No. Life happens. But that does not change God's intent for it. God's intent is for marriage to be lifelong because it's a picture that points to his lifelong commitment to us. And secondly, it's important for single people to assess if I'm called to be single or married because if you're, if you're single, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it because marriage is not ultimate. The most important relationship you will ever have is the one that you have with Jesus. He saved you. He died for you. He has set you free. And I want to tell you this, give you this. Here's why singleness is so significant. The man who gave his life for us, who willingly died for our sins, was not a married man. 
When he dies at 33 years old, he dies single in his 30s. And he set the world on fire and turned it upside down. So if you're single, you're in good company. It's a gift from God. You're not less than. You're not second class. There's not something wrong with you. Your identity is not in your relationship status. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And he has called you to serve him, to love him, and to do his will. He loves you enough to die for you. So I just want to say this today. If you're, you're married, it's a gift from God. Cherish it. Appreciate it. Serve your spouse. If you're single, it's a gift from God. Appreciate it. Use it wisely to serve and honor the Lord as a response to how he served and loved you. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.